0: Well, let's return to the book of Hebrews, please, chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and we'll begin reading at verse number 7. We'll be reading down through verse number 19. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one that is to come. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. The final chapter of Hebrews is filled with practical instruction. Last week we saw in verses 1 through 6 that if we're going to bring glory to God and help others see the difference that the gospel can make, then we must commit ourselves to these practical things that the author lays out for us, particularly committing ourselves to love and purity and contentment. Now, now we have to remember one point that we tried to articulate clearly, and that is these things do not create the Christian life. No endeavor to love better or to be more content or to strive for greater purity is going to create in you the Christian life. The Christian life comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way the Christian life will ever begin in your life. Faith in Christ. So these practical instructions that the Bible gives us, they do not create the Christian life. They simply reveal the Christian life. Faith and repentance creates it. Obedience to God reveals the genuineness of our faith, the genuineness of our repentance. So as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we not only have a model of perfect O. Obedience, But we have in him a hope that by his help we can achieve obedience to the glory of God. That with his help we can love. And with his help we can be pure. We can live content lives. That, that is a summary of what we looked at in verses 1 through 6. Now, this morning, we come to verses 7 through 19. And again, we have practical instructions regarding the Christian life. This time, however, it's in relationship to the church. And I've entitled the message this morning, A Biblical Vision for Church Health. A biblical vision vision for church health because what we have here are the components of a healthy church. And church health is to be the primary vision of a church. And whenever we have our membership classes once a quarter during that membership class, we seek to answer several questions about the church. We ask questions such as, uh, what is the church, and why should I join a church, and what kind of church is Laurel, and what is the structure of Laurel like, so on and so forth. Among all of those questions, there is another question that we ask, and that is, what is the vision of Laurel Baptist Church? What is the vision of Laurel Baptist Church? Now, most people, when they ask this question, they are thinking in terms of buildings and ministry and numbers, all of which are part of a growing church. However, when these things are the vision of the church, then church health takes a back seat. And a church begins to sacrifice love, purity, and in some cases even the gospel itself in order to grow the business. So so what I share in every one of our membership classes, and as I reiterate to you again this morning, is this. Our vision here at Laurel is primarily church health, not church growth. We are committed to nurturing the health of our ministry while believing that God will take care of the growth of our church, (laughs) We have to be reminded, church, this is His church. It's not my church. It's not your church. I know we have a habit of saying that, and it's okay. I think we understand what we mean when we say, I love my church, or this is my church. But ultimately, this is God's church. It's His church, and He will build it however He sovereignly chooses. Our job is to... Faithfulness. And it's God's job to work out the fruit, however, He wills to do so. And so, how do we remain faithful? Well, we remain faithful by keeping an unwavering commitment to the Word of God. That is our vision. Our vision is God, our vision is the gospel, our vision is faithfulness to the Word, our vision is church health. Church, health, church, health. And then we will leave it to God to do whatever he wants to do with this church family. So what we have here in these verses are some words of instruction in order to make sure that we keep a biblical vision for church health. In fact, these things are not only what our vision is to be as a church, but if God ever relocated any of you from our area, then these are the things that you need to look for when finding a new church. Consider this. Think about it. Numerical growth does not always mean it's healthy. Numerical growth does not always mean it's healthy. And what's healthy does not always mean there will be large numerical growth. Rather, health is faithful obedience to the Bible faithful obedience to the Word. So we want to make sure that our vision here as a church is one of faithful obedience to the Word. When looking for a church, we want to make sure it's a church that is faithfully obedient to the Word. All right, let's look at them because there's several of them. Number one, a healthy church follows, submits to, and prays for their pastors. A healthy church follows, submits to, and prays for their pastors. Now, You understand how awkward this is for me to preach this point to you this morning. But it's in the Bible. And if we're going to be a healthy church and faithful to the Scriptures, then we must not skip over any verse of the Bible. We have to address it and understand it. Look at verse number 7. He says, remember those who rule over you. So first he directs the church's attention to its leaders, its pastors, those who rule over you. He says it again in verse 17. Keep your Bibles open. Look at it. Obey those who rule over you. Now it's not speaking of a dictatorial rule. But of a divinely given responsibility. A divinely given authority to oversee the church. And such a responsibility has been given to pastors. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul was writing to a group of pastors before he gets on a boat and sails away. And he says to these pastors in Acts chapter 20, Therefore take heed to yourself and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. An overseer. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So the Holy Spirit of God has made pastors the overseers, the shepherds, the leaders of his church. And as pastors, it is our responsibility to lead you and to feed you and to protect you. Let me just say that these verses bring absolute terror to my soul. Some of you might be thinking, well, it must be nice to be the overseer. You know, the man in charge, the guy who leads it. For one, as a pastor of this congregation, I am held accountable to God. For my leadership over your life. I want you to think about that. I'm not held accountable to you for how I lead you. I'm held accountable to God for how I lead you. Verse 17 says, pastors must give account, and the implication here is, to God. To God. Guys, if we need to use the pulpit mic, let's use it. Or the overseer is going to have a point of dismissal from the church body. All right? We're not talking about being grave and temperate today. Let's just use this. All right? The pastors must give account to God. Now, James gives a similar sobering reality. In James chapter 3 and verse 1, Brothers, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we, we who teach, we who preach, we will receive stricter judgment. You see, pastoral leadership that is taken seriously and exercised humbly will be done under the constant pressure of knowing that a day is coming, will I when I will give an account to God for my work as a pastor. Don't become, don't don't desire to become a teacher because you need to know that if you teach, you're going to be held to greater accountability. Be careful that you're sure that it is God calling you to pastoral leadership in a church because it is you who are going to give an account of not only your own life, but the lives of those you lead. So imagine the pressure, the daily constant pressure that I live with knowing that a day is coming when I will stand before Almighty God and give an account to Him for the work that I did as a pastor. And it is constant pressure. For once, just consider the things that I'm responsible to do. He says in verse 7 that I'm to speak the word of God to you. I'm to speak the word of God to you. Remember those who have spoken the word of God to you. The pastoral authority that I possess this morning lies solely in God's word. In God's word. My authority is not in me. My authority is in God's word. And When a pastor begins to use the authority that he believes he possesses, that's when things go awry. The authority is not in me. The authority is in the word of God. I'm to speak the word of God to you. This is why those who are appointed to pastoral leadership need to be able to handle God's word with skill. They need to be able to handle God's word with precision and faithfulness. So there's this constant pressure in my own life that I do speak God's word to you. And that when I do, I do so accurately. Humbly. And when necessary, boldly. So so there's this pressure. This constant pressure of knowing that I'm going to stand before God with everything that I preached, everything that I taught. With whether or not I was faithful to preach to you the Word of God. I'm to speak God's Word to you. Not only that, he says I am to live God's Word before you. He says in verse 7, follow their faith. Remember those who have the rule over you, whose faith I want you to follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Again, consider the pressure here. It's pressure enough for me to be who God wants me to be in the privacy of my own heart. Do you understand what I mean by that? My load is heavy enough just dealing with Jonathan. But then you add on top of that, That my life as a pastor, a life that I don't begrudge, but a life that God has called and equipped me to do. But my life as a pastor, it's God's command for you to follow my own faith. In other words, the, the, the rendering of that word here is, you're to imitate me. Now that's scary, isn't it? 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2 says, Shepherd, he's speaking again to pastors, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, being an example to the flock. Be an example of the flock. So I'm to live God's word before you in such a way that in this glass world that I live in, that I conduct myself in an obedient, faithful, and biblical manner that you can look at my life, that you can look at my faith and say, there's an example for me to know God. There's an example for me to love my wife. There's an example to me to faithfully parent my children and so on and so forth. It's constant pressure. I've got to speak God's word to you. I've got to live God's word before you. Not only that, he says in verse 17, I am to watch out for your soul. I'm to watch out for your soul. He says again, remember those who lead you, who rule over you, be submissive, obedient to them. Why? Because they watch out for your souls. The word watch here means to keep awake, to be alert, aware, actively involved. And there's no doubt in my mind that this carries the idea of losing sleep over the care of the church. Awake, be awake, be alert. Be involved in what's going on. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28, the idea of losing, losing sleep or, or these pressures, this, this alertness. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 12, talking about his own life pressures, not the least of which he said was my deep care, my deep concern for the church. This is what it means for pastors to watch over the flock. They're constantly teaching. They're constantly counseling. They're constantly praying. They're constantly encouraging. Sometimes they're over and over again warning, warning, watching, watching, watching. Being alert, being aware, staying awake, not sleeping at night, making sure the care and concern for the church is for the glory of God. And as members of this congregation, that is the burden, the pressure that I carry. I am responsible to God for you. Now, it's on account of this responsibility that Hebrews chapter 13 tells us to follow, submit to, and pray for our pastors. On account of that responsibility, not their personality, not their giftedness or lack thereof, not not, not, not something we uh, admire about them, and something that we uh, detest about them no on on the basis of this. God-given authority that they are to speak the word of God and live the word of God as an example and keep a watch out for your soul. On the basis of that, he says, follow, submit to, and pray for your pastors. Again, back in verse 7, follow them, follow them. Remember those who, who rule over you, whose faith follow. Imitate their faith. Look at how they're governing their lives. Follow their example. Then he says in verse 17, submit to them. Submit to them. Obey those who rule over you. And be submissive. Of course, that obedience and submission is within the parameter of their authority. And again, what is the authority of the pastor? Their authority is the Word of God. And it's their authority in the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, counseling the Word of God, showing you in the Word of God that this is the direction you need to go and this is the way that you need to take. Upon that authority, he says, submit your decisions, submit your life to the authority that the pastors have in guiding you through the word of God. We have a hard time understanding what that looks like, right? Because so much authority is abused in so many different places. It's not my job to come into your life and dictate what you have for supper, What you wear and don't wear. That's none of my business. I just want you to wear something. (laughs) But but what about this, young people, when you come to me and say, Pastor, I really met this nice-looking girl. She's beautiful. She's like a 10 out of 10. And unbelievably, it's the first time besides my own mama that a girl likes me. (laughs) But here's the problem, pastor. She's not a Christian. What should I do? You shouldn't date her. You shouldn't marry her. Now, I'm not saying that because I want to rule your life. I'm saying that because the Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And the authority of me giving you that counsel is on the basis of what the Bible says. It's a small, pitily example. I understand that. But this is the point he's trying to make here. The authority is in the word. Be submissive to your pastors. Notice this. If shepherds are leading faithfully and the flock is following and submitting obediently, then both, guess what, verse 17, both experience mutual blessing. The pastors will carry their responsibilities with joy, with joy and not with grief. And then the flock will experience peace, blessing, and spiritual health. Look at what he says there in verse 17. You want your pastors to stand before God with joy and not grief. That they would be, and I, and I insert here the implication, that they would be pastors, pastors these, who are spiritually and emotionally beat up. He says if you have a pastor's emotionally and spiritually beat up, that's unprofitable for you. That's unprofitable for you. It's not good for him. And it's not good for you. So, so when we learn our roles, that, that I am to lead faithfully and you are to follow faithfully, then together there's blessing and peace and spiritual health. Spiritual health. One thing my dad always taught, and I've never forgotten this. He said one question that we need to ask when it comes to our responsibility to those who shepherd us, who lead our lives, is this question. Do we make them glad or do we make them groan? Do we make them glad or do we make them grown? If you want to know the answer to that, see me after church, I'll tell you. (laughs) Follow them. Submit to them. And then I've got to mention this and we have to hurry. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Verse 18, pray for us, he says. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. So we're talking about a healthy church. A healthy church follows their pastors. A healthy church submits to their pastors and the authority that God has given them through the word of God. And a healthy church prays for their pastors. Charles Spurgeon was once asked why he thought his ministry had been so successful. And his response was simply this. I know my people pray for me. I know my people pray for me. Can I ask you selfishly this morning? Pray for your pastors. Again, all of this fits within the framework of church health. Healthy churches have faithful leaders and healthy churches have faithful followers. Members who follow submit to and pray for their pastors. All right, number two, healthy church. A healthy church not only follows, submits to, and prays for their pastors, but secondly, a healthy church stays focused on Jesus Christ. All right, A healthy church stays focused on Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. It's probably one of the most popular verses in all of Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You have a, you have a goal of memorizing more scripture? There's a good one to start with. All right, Short, easy, simple. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we're very familiar with it. But let's back up for a moment and understand it in its context. Because verse 8, often which is taken out in isolation, we need to understand follows verse number 7. And because it follows verse number 7, where he's just told us to watch, observe, respect, honor your pastors. And then in the very next verse he tells us, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. There's something he wants us to get. And I think the intent of it is this. Follow me. Respect and follow your pastors who preach the word of God to you, who also live the word of God before you. However, they're not perfect. But Jesus is. (laughs) So while we respect, honor, follow, and obey our pastors, it's ultimately on Jesus that our eyes are to be focused. Not on me. Why do Jesus, church, you know this to be true, and I must reiterate it to you. I will fail you, but Jesus will never fail you. I can't always be there for you, but Jesus will always be there for you. I am not the answer, neither is any one of these other pastors in our church. We are not the answer to your life needs, but I'm tell you what, Jesus is the answer to your life needs. We got to get this in right perspective. We have to understand this balance. God has given us pastors to give us an example, to give us an authority, a voice teaching, preaching, leadership, oversight, all of those things which are important, but it is ultimately Jesus to whom our eyes are fixed. We watch Jesus. We follow Jesus. We live our lives for Jesus. So I, when a member leaves a healthy congregation, and look, I'm not a fool. I understand that many of you are members of this church because you had to leave an unhealthy environment. That's not what I'm talking about. There are churches meeting all around this town today that are unhealthy and my advice would be to go find a healthy church. All right, so I'm not I'm not speaking up here to say that if you've had to leave a church to come here or whatever the case may be, that you're in the wrong. No, don't, don't misunderstand me. This is about the context of healthiness. Healthiness. Oftentimes, when a member leaves a healthy con- congregation, a healthy church, because their leader let them down, it is more often than not because their eyes were never fixed on Jesus. This is a healthy church. But I am not a perfect person. In fact, I'm only one person. There is no way that I can ever be to 300 people what you want me to be. I can't. I would die trying. It's hard enough for me to be who God wants me to be. It's hard enough for me to be the husband my wife needs me to be. The, 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 the parent that my children need to be. I can never be for 300 people. But that's the point of the text. Your pastor's not to be that. Jesus is to be that. So follow your pastors and listen to them and let them set an example for you. Respect and honor them. That's why they're there. But you keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus. Because when a leader disappoints you and your eyes are on Jesus, guess what? You ain't going nowhere. Because I wasn't watching him anyway. And I ain't going to heaven because of him anyway. That's what happens though, isn't it? The pastor didn't call me while I was in the hospital, so I guess I'm going to have to find me a new church. So who are you looking at? Are you looking at me or are you looking at Jesus? I'm sorry I didn't call you. I'm just a man trying to do the best I can under intense, constant pressure that i got to stand before God with what he's called me to do. Don't look at me. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. I will. You see, I would be a terrible parent. A terrible parent if I never taught my children to live independently of me. My job as a parent is to get Kate, Keegan, and Ellie, and now Jaden, whoever else comes along by God's sovereign choices. <laughs> it is my job to get them to the place where they Want to leave. That's why I annoy the daylights out of them. <laughs> if I do everything for them, if we live our lives so much as parents that they are so dependent upon us, I mean so dependent upon us, then they'll never li- know how to live as a normal adult in this world. Same is true in the pastor-church relationship. I can not do everything for you. It's at some point, you've got to read your Bible for yourself. At some point, you've got to go to the prayer closet alone without me. At some point, you've got to learn to live your Christian life with Jesus, regardless with whether or not I'm there. That's the whole point. Why? Because it is ultimately the task of leadership to see those whom we lead not attached to ourselves but attached to the Lord Jesus Christ. A healthy church is a church whose eyes are fixed on Jesus. That doesn't mind coming to me every once in a while and saying, Pastor, I love you, but I'm looking at Jesus. That's what I want you to do. All right, number three. A healthy church rejects legalism and unbiblical teaching. A healthy church rejects legalism and unbiblical teaching. Look at verse 9. Do not be carried about with the various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Now, now right in the middle of this verse, he says, it is good that the heart be established by grace. Let's be reminded of that this morning, church. Christians are saved by grace. We live by grace. We are strengthened by grace. Anything that we are or may become is all because of grace. We began by grace. We continue by grace. And we will finish by grace. Listen to me. The Christian life is this. It is grace, 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 grace. That's what the Christian life is. So why then would we who have received grace attempt on any measure, to allow legalism and externalism or extra-biblical moralism to get us closer to God. If we say that everything about us is grace, then why are we adding all these rules in hopes that God will love us better? It's not a bunch of rules surrounding ceremonial foods, the author is saying here. It's not all these foods, all these rules, all this externalism, all this moralism. It's not that that strengthens our hearts. It's grace that strengthens our hearts. Now, if you... If you want to keep your food rules, then so be it. But don't think for one moment that you keeping those rules are going to get you closer to God. It's not. And stop trying to make someone else feel less spiritual if they don't follow your rules. That's the warning here. Do not be carried away with all kinds of strange teachings, all kinds of weird doctrines. You establish your heart in grace. In grace. Because healthy churches reject ludicrous and absurd teaching that is unbiblical and legalistic. Unhealthy churches are driven by extra-biblical rules that are man-made and ego-centered. You don't get closer to God by keeping a bunch of rules. You get closer to God by living in the gospel of His grace. Let's understand the difference. That's why Paul warned the Galatians. You began well. You started in grace. Why in the world are you so wrapped up in checking off this list of things that you got to do and that you can't do in hopes that it's going to make you more spiritual in front of everybody else? That's not how it works. But yet there are churches all over this world today who will preach salvation is by faith in Jesus, by grace alone. But as soon as you pray your prayer of commitment to Christ, they go ahead and give you a list of things that you've got to sign to make sure you do if you really want to honor God. We're talking about healthy churches. Healthy churches reject legalism. Healthy churches run from moral elitism. Extra biblical teaching. All right, number four, a healthy, church, a healthy church preaches the gospel above all. A healthy church preaches the gospel above all. Now, in verses 10 through 14, the writer summarizes all that he has been preaching throughout the book. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here other than to bring out the emphasis of what he's trying to say within the context of this paragraph. For instance, consider verse 10. He says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. I'm ashamed to tell you that I've abused this verse verse so many times as a young preacher. I remember as an evangelist traveling and preaching a message from this verse on we have an altar. And the whole whole point of it was public altars. And the truth of the matter is God had to to show me that, Jonathan, you're an idiot. That's had nothing to do with what I meant. (laughs) But what does he mean here when he says we have an altar from those who serve the tabernacle that they have no right to eat? The the point is, is that our altar is the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the point. And those who continue going to the insufficient altar of works and religious ceremony, those, they have no place to eat at the altar of Jesus. So... What he's saying here is that there's this ongoing symbolism of faith versus works. Grace versus merit. When we come to the altar of Jesus Christ by faith, we receive full and free the grace of God. We have an altar. We have a sacrifice. but We have salvation. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. But as long as you continue going to the altar of self and the altar of legalism, and the altar of religion and ritual, then you will be rejected by God. Verse 12, look at it. Therefore Jesus, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. This is the gospel. Jesus shed his blood in order to sanctify his people. He died in our place. This is the only way to eternal life. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the writer says here, he suffered outside the gates of Jerusalem. This is a place of rejection, a place of shame, a place of humiliation, but yet a place that meant he was accessible to any sinner in the world who willingly came to him. He didn't suffer inside the gates for the Jews alone. He suffered outside the gates for anyone in the world who wanted redemption by Christ. It's for all the nations. And God's salvation comes to those who are willing look at it again in verse 14 or excuse me verse 13 God's salvation comes to those who are willing to go outside the camp A lot of symbolism here Jesus died outside the gates Now those who want his salvation have to be willing to go to him outside the camp what does that mean Well he's using again symbolic language he's saying you got to be willing in this original audience, to go outside of Judaism. There were people who wanted to hold on to Jesus while still clinging to the same ritual, sacrificial system that they've always followed. And the writer's saying, that's not the gospel. It's not praying some prayer to Jesus and you keeping on your own false religious ways. No, it's leaving that and going to where Jesus is and saying, I want Jesus and Jesus alone. So you got to be willing to go outside the camp outside of Judaism, outside of the Old Covenant. In our context, you got to be willing to go outside of any religious system of works and identify with Jesus there in the place of shame, in the place of rejection, in the place of humiliation. And so that does mean we must, as the verse says, bear his reproach. It's similar to when Jesus told his disciples, if any man man will follow me, he must take up the cross and deny himself. You see, the gospel is not adding Jesus to a shelf of other religious aspirations. The gospel is coming to Christ and Christ alone, even if I suffer the same shame and rejection by others that he did for me. But look at verse 14 and we're going to move on. It's easy to bear his reproach when we know that our life is not wrapped up in this world. For us, God's people, we are living for a city to come. Here we have no continuing city. We're not living for this world. We are living for the world to come. The celestial city. The everlasting home for believers. The new heaven and the new earth which God has promised to build for those who belong to Him. This is the gospel. And a healthy church is a church who preaches the gospel above all. Above all. Well, the day that this church stops preaching the gospel, run. And I'll be running with you. Because may God take my life before I ever consider for one moment that any other subject is more important than the gospel. All right, my time is up, so let me just give you these last two. There are six of them. So let me give you five and six. A healthy church. Hey, don't get mad at me. This is the Bible. I don't like preaching six points any more than anybody else does. I'd rather give you three points in a colloquial poem and go on our way. But there's six in the text. So submit to my authority. Doggone it. All right, number five. A healthy church worships God with the sacrifice of praise. A healthy church worships God with the sacrifice of praise. Verse 15, therefore by Him. So important there. By Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. So again, building on the previous verses, since we do have an altar of the cross of Christ, and we do have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who reconciled us to God by His blood, let us then, through Jesus, offer Him continually sacrifices of praise let us offer through Jesus ongoing worship and let me remind you this morning there is only one way to offer true worship to God and that is through Jesus through Jesus that's so important circle that word in your Bible by him by him let us by him by Jesus worship God now why does he refer to our worship as sacrifice because it's something we have to willingly give You have to lay down your schedules. Now, God's people ought to have the Lord's house as the number one place to be on the Lord's day. They ought to be. But sometimes, sometimes, schedules get in the way. So you got to be willing to lay down schedules in order to sacrifice worship to Him. you got to be willing to lay down feelings because we don't always wake up on Sundays feeling it, you know. Maybe you do. Maybe you wake up every day of the week just with that bird whistling out the window. It can be pouring outside, but it looks like sun is on the horizon. And you're singing. Maybe that's how you did this morning. You woke up just ready to go to the house of God. I woke up this morning wishing it was Saturday. So you've got to sacrifice how you feel to give worship to God. Because every day I'm not always feeling it. And every season, I'm not always feeling it. Sometimes I'm in the house and I ain't feeling it. Thank God it ain't based on feelings. It is based on what we know to be true. And so we sacrifice our schedules and we sacrifice our feelings and we sacrifice our pride to give God the worship that he deserves. I can't sing worth a lick. Sometimes you got to lay that down. you got to lay down what people are going to think of you to lift up your voice and praise to God. And God is specific about the kind of praise that He wants. He wants the fruit of our lips, our lips giving thanks to His name. That is church. He wants you to verbalize it. He wants you to say it. He wants you to sing it. Healthy churches are praising churches. Healthy churches are singing churches. Healthy churches knows what it means every once in a while to just say hallelujah. (laughs) All right, here's the last one, number six. A healthy church serves others with the sacrifice of ourselves. All right? We worship God with the sacrifice of praise, and we serve others with the sacrifice of ourselves. So look at verse 16 because he he doesn't want us to forget this. In fact, that's exactly what he says. Do not forget that while you're in there waving your hands and praising God and worshiping, don't forget. Look at it, verse 16. To do good. Implications to others. To do good to others. To share with others. For with that kind of sacrifice, God is well pleased. He's well pleased. You want to know how to please God? Then do good to others. You want to know how to please God? Share with others by your generosity. Isn't it fascinating that our kids are not the only kids that we have to have the whole share talk with? Well, this is my toy or I can't tell you how many times I hear in my house, tell Keegan to get out of my room. This is my room. He's in my room. No, it's actually my room. And anybody can be anywhere they want to be. Why don't you all get out of my room? I can't tell you how many times I've heard my wife sit down with our kids. We share in this house. With our trip to Disney a couple weeks ago, it's so stinking expensive. We all have to share the same bottle of water. You think I'm joking. A <laughs> bottle of water six bucks, all right? We just kind of calculated on our fingers as a dollar for each of us, and so you only get two sips per meal. Oh, and the kids just love that. You know they love that. I want a Sprite, Daddy. Nope, we're all sharing a bottle of water. Oh, yes, I love sharing with Keegan's booger-filled mouth. You know, I love that. No, 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 no. They whine, they pout, they complain. It's amazing you go to Disney and have a good time when you're irritated half the time with your kids. <laughs> How many times we had to have that conversation? We share in this family. We share our bottles of water, we share our cupcakes. We share our meals, we share our toys. We share in this family. Hey, I want you to look around, We share in this family. We share in this family. That's what he's saying. Don't forget, Don't forget to share, be generous to other people. Don't, don't forget to, to do good possible for a believer to possess rich theology and be a poor Christian. I'll almost say that again. It's possible. It's possible for a Christian to possess rich theology and be a poor Christian. At this point, my dad would then do... (laughs) It's true, isn't it? John said... First John 3.18, my little children, let us not love in word and tongue alone, but in deed and truth. It's one thing to say amen to all this stuff. It's another thing to actually find somebody in this church family who has a need and go meet it. Take sacrifice, right? Healthy churches are filled with members who willingly give their time and their finances and their schedules to serve others. And that only flows from a heart that is truly outward focused and not inward focused. So how do we close all this out? Well, I I just want us to respond in obedience to these instructions that Hebrews gives to the church. That we would all commit together to having a biblical vision for church health here at Laurel. I love it. I absolutely love it that almost 15 years ago we met in this room, Brother Jimmy, Miss Sally. With just 30 of us. It was a little different then. In fact, it was only about half the size. We had pink carpet. (laughs) But it wasn't but just a few weeks later, God just began to build the church. It's exciting, Jimmy, to look around, you know, and see what God has done in just a short amount of time. And maybe he'll do more. Maybe this is all he wants. I, I don't know. It's his church. But there have been times as pastor I've got it out of order. I've been focused on the next ministry. Too focused on the next building. Too, too focused on the next numerical goal. You know, what do we got to do to get the next 50 in? And, and God has had to show me in some very uh, hurtful ways Jonathan, that's not what I want out of Laurel. I just want you to be healthy. And so thanks be to God for his grace and his ability to stop us head on from going a direction he would not have us to go and to turn around and to change and to be who he wants us to be so that the focus is church health. What God has done in this congregation... It's only that. It's what God has done. But it's only because. There have been groups of people along the way through the years who've said. My vision is church health. Church health. And I want to be a healthy Christian. So that we can be a healthy church. And put us in a prime position for God to bless. However. He chooses to do so. So would you join with me in that? Let's commit to God to keep striving for healthiness. Let's stand together.